Okay, we are studying uh, uh, Paul. We're studying his life and his theology. His life is uh, the first focus or the first phase of this class. His theology we'll get to after we've gone through his life. So if you've been coming with us to this class or following us on the Internet or wherever else you may follow it, uh, then you know we are at a point in Paul's second missionary journey where Paul is at Corinth. While Paul is at Corinth, Paul begins writing letters back to a church that he had established through his mission efforts with, uh, with Timothy and Silvanus or Silas uh, some months earlier, and that was a church back in Thessalonica. So while Paul is in Corinth, he writes both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Last week we looked at 1st Thessalonians. This week we look at 2nd Thessalonians. As we noted last week, we don't really know which one Paul wrote first. I think most scholars think 1st Thessalonians was the first one he wrote. Although some scholars think uh, and have pretty good reasons to think that 2nd Thessalonians was actually written um, initially. To us, ultimately, of course, it doesn't matter, except there's some nuances in the scriptures that you can understand a little bit more fully, depending on which one he wrote first. Uh, in this class, we, we will follow the idea with most scholars that 1 Thessalonians was written first and then second. Uh, if you want to study that in more depth, there are some wonderful resources to do it. Uh, but for this class, we'll just pause and assume that he wrote 1 Thessalonians and now he's writing 2 Thessalonians. He's writing it on the heels of having written the first letter. There's been some communication back and forth, uh, uh, obviously, and Paul's gotten some reports back. And one of the nuances that, that's there, seeing that he wrote 2 Thessalonians 2, is found in what he had to say in his first letter comparing it to what he says in his second letter. You see, Paul had been at that church, he'd established the church. He'd left a little prematurely for his own wishes and for his own teaching. And then Paul goes back and starts trying to write. And there's some things that Paul just won't let go of. Um, he's got some concerns that are so important, he's going to hang on to them until he makes his point. And, and we've got that from him, and we find that from him. And so what I'd like to do is, much like we did last week, go through the entire letter with you. It's only three chapters. And I could, again, do it by reading it to you, but uh, uh, you wouldn't need me to do that. You can do that on your own. So instead, what I'll do is I'll try and put it into a little more common place vernacular. We'll add a few pictures and uh, uh, try and tell the, the letter to you the way Paul might have wanted to present it today uh, had he been writing to our class or to our church if we had been in the same position of the Thessalonians at the time. So with that, Paul begins his letter. And he begins it in an interesting way. Almost the same. Almost the same as 1 Thessalonians. There's just one slight difference. Um, if you notice, let's see, does this take us back over? Did I make that switch? No, there, that, we made it. If you notice 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, Paul starts as follows. Are y'all able to read that okay? Okay. Paul starts it with the missionaries, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, 
to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all see that? Okay, that's 1 Thessalonians. Okay? Now, 2 Thessalonians. Let's look at it. Second, again, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference? This is like one of those cartoons. There's something different. Can you find it? Okay. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Or... Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Different. Paul says, our. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he do that? Paul, at the very beginning of this letter, is underscoring his relationship. He's identifying himself with the Thessalonians. He's God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something we share in common with Brother Paul. He's our Father. God was not anything special to Paul that he is not also special to you and me. There's, there's, Paul didn't have a special bond with God beyond the bond we can have. He is our Father. And so Paul says in reference to the church that uh, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that churches historically have put steeples on top? They're not down on the ground. The steeple is always above the church. Because the church, symbolically, is under Christ. And He is our Lord. And the church exists with the cross of Christ between us and heaven. God our Father. And that's what we have here. So it's to the God or to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he adds in verse 2, grace and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is the common relationship that we have. And it's a common relationship we all share. And so Paul, if he's talking to our class and the letter's being read here, it begins with an understanding that God is our Father. And that the grace and peace that he prays for us, he prays from God, our Father, who's the source of this grace and peace. Now, if you remember the last letter I wrote, Paul would say to you, referencing 1 Thessalonians, I specifically, in chapter 3 of that letter, ask that God would let your love and your faith grow more and more. Do you remember that prayer? Maybe you remember this slide that went with it last week. The neat thing is, in this letter, Paul recognizes that God's answered the prayer. Because in this letter, Paul says that I'm thankful for your growing faith and love. 
Last letter, I prayed that your faith would grow and your love would abound for each other. This letter, I'm telling you, I'm seeing it happen. God is honoring that prayer. God honors the prayer that's in his will. We should be praying for each other, things that are in God's will. And God will honor those things. They come true. Now, Paul says, I'm concerned about something here. Because while I'm thankful for how you're growing, there's, a, there's an issue. See, a lot of you are undergoing some persecution and some suffering right now. And what's happened is, you are bearing up incredibly well in light of what you're going through. This is very special to Paul. He says, on our road of faith, sometimes we come to a place of persecution, a place of suffering, and a place of difficulty. Oh, you could take an easy street that doesn't go there. But instead of taking the easy street, you've chosen the road of faith that leads through some hard times and some difficulties. And that you remain faithful in spite of that is an incredible thing. Paul says, I'm especially impressed with your, and he uses the word perseverance, your steadfastness. And steadfastness and perseverance in the Greek is not this idea that you're a doormat, okay? It's not, oh gee, okay, well I'm going to be a Christian, so just step all over me. Oh, times are tough. My life stinks, but I'm a Christian, so I guess this is just the way it is. I'm going to be Eeyore for the faith. Oh, no. Life is horrible. I had a boss one time who had a T-shirt, life is hard, and then you die. It was in black. And that was his view of life. Now Paul says, I really appreciate you. Because in the midst of your sufferings, you don't see it that way. You've got perseverance. And that's so important because perseverance doesn't mean you're a doormat. When Paul says perseverance, he means this. You see that there's a purpose in your suffering. You, you, you see that the suffering's happening under the hand of an almighty God, but there is something at the end of the road. You're not just passively sitting there as Eeyore, ruined for the day. Instead, you're suffering, and you're hurt, and it's difficult, but that's okay. Because there is a God, and he does have control. And you know that at the end of the road of faith is blessing. The end of easy street, blech. You stay at the end for eternity. I want the road of faith. See, faith is very... The, the New Testament, and I, and I put some wonderful quotations from Morris, Leon Morris, in the lesson. But, but I want to try and make them real to you. The New Testament has a different view on suffering and difficulty than we do. 
It just does. A friend of one of my daughters, young friend of mine, has sent me an email one time saying, I don't understand if God's there, why they're suffering. Especially for Christians. I don't, doesn't bother me that evil people suffer. But why the good? A secretary, an assistant that's worked for me for almost 20 years, uh, went with her mother and dad and, and her children uh, to the graduation of her youngest daughter from college. And uh, they were in San Marcos on the way back and took an extra day to float down the river. And they were in their various inner tubes except for Jan's mother. Jan's mother was back at the hotel. And uh, they go around a bend. And Jan's dad had been in the lead inner tube. And he's face down in the water dead. And Jan's got to not only figure out what to do. Her dad's dead. They try CPR. They try everything they can. Ultimately, the JP comes. They take the dad away want to do an autopsy because they don't know how he died. And Jan's got to go back and explain this to her mother who's in the hotel room waiting on everybody to come back from a fun day on the river. And Jan's in tears saying, why is life, why? Saying, would you please pray for us? Pray for my mom. This is Mother's Day. Pray for me. And I told her, yes, I will. And I'll mention it to our class and we'll all be in prayer for you. The road, and Jan's a believer. Her parents were believers. Her dad is in the bosom of Abraham. But life has difficulties. And we're fooling ourselves if we don't think so. If we're just in the bright spot right now, and we don't realize it, then we're fooling ourselves. But if you're in one of those difficult places and you're in a hurting place and it is a difficult time, then you're more acutely aware of what I'm saying. The New Testament, though, in the Bible, doesn't teach that suffering and difficulty is something to be avoided. It teaches it's coming. First, it rains on the just and the unjust alike. We live in a fallen world. This is not the way God meant the world to operate. And the prince of the powers of this world, he is not who God meant to rule our living habits or our living location. The world is under a curse. The whole reason Jesus is coming again is to rescue us from this life in this world. And so the Bible teaches that there's suffering and rain that falls on the just and the unjust both. And sometimes an extra measure of difficulty on the believer. Because we don't take the easy path, we take the path of faith. And in some places that might mean abject, I mean, absolute, full-on frontal persecution for being a Christian. In other places, it may just mean we take a more difficult life. Because we won't take the easy way out. We won't offer up the lie that may save us from the problem. We won't cheat on the income tax to get us a little bit more money to spend. We won't cheat on the test when it may make it 
a little bit easier grade or an easier time at home. We won't take credit for something at work that we really didn't do. Just to make us look better. And we won't knife someone in the back just to get ahead. There are lots of ways where by following Christ in a road of faith, we have a more difficult time. But the New Testament and the Bible teach that this is the very place where God shapes who we are. This is the very place where God shapes our character. Our faith is honed and refined and shaped and molded in the fires of difficulty and persecution. And so Paul would say to us, I'm thankful that you're persevering, that you're not just a doormat, but that you're actively growing and, and embracing and living through the difficulties and the sufferings because you know on the other side of the door is Jesus Christ. And He will come again. And when Jesus Christ comes again, He will set things right. He will inflict vengeance now, the Greek word for vengeance doesn't mean um, uh, uh, revenge. It, it, it actually doesn't have any, like, evil motive to it. It just means the, the just consequence, the, the fair consequence. It's, what a, it's the sentence from the judge, okay? Jesus is coming. He's inflicting a fair punishment on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. He is. There is a day where we're... <laughs> you know, some folks will deny the existence of Jesus, but they will not deny it forever because there will come a day where it's undeniable. And Paul recognized that and the church recognized that. And that puts things in a different perspective because we are the ones who understand that. We are the ones who obey the gospel of Jesus instead of don't obey. What does Paul mean by that? That phrase has been misused by some folks. Some folks take that phrase, obey the gospel. We've heard some different people teach that that means to do this list of do's and don'ts. I have a friend who uses the phrase, and he means to be baptized when he talks about obeying the gospel. And so the idea is he takes this verse to mean those who aren't baptized are going to hell. Okay. That's not what Paul's doing here. Okay. Paul's not turning this into legalism, a list of do's and don'ts. The word for here, well, let's start with the word for gospel. By gospel, Paul means the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If that's the good news. Jesus died for you. He was buried for you, and he's been resurrected. That's the good news. In fact, Paul's writing this from Corinth. It's 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul writes back to Corinth and says, Hey, remember when I was with you? In other words, when I was writing Thessalonians? Remember when I was with you? The terms, the words I used to preach the gospel. It says, Brethren, I would remind you of the terms with which I gave to you the gospel. Here they are. Jesus Christ was died, or killed, died, buried, and resurrected on our behalf and is coming again. That's the gospel. So when Paul talks about those who don't obey the gospel, 
If we know by gospel he means death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, what does he mean when he says they don't obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Well, the word obey is the Greek word hoop akuo. It's two Greek words put together. Hoop means under, like um, hypnosis. <laughs> um, we get hypnosis from it, H-Y-P. means, you know, to, to go under. Um, hypnotize, to take someone under. I'm sure there are other examples. Akuo is the second part. So the first part is to come under, hoop. Akuo, akuo, we get acoustics from it. The word that Paul uses that's translated obey means literally to hear about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and to come under it. That's to respond to it. To, 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 to dwell under the cross. One of my favorite hymns of all times talks about what it is to obey the gospel in this sense. Do you know this hymn? See if this works. Take, O cross, thy shadow from my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face, content to let the world go by, to know no gain nor loss, my sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. That's what it means to obey the gospel. It means to, to, to come under, to hear what Jesus has done and to respond in faith, to come under it. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand, content to let the world go by, to know no gain nor loss, my sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. Oh, I could put each verse up here. It's an incredible song. Oh, safe and happy refuge. O shelter, tried and sweet. O trysting place where heaven's love and heaven's justice meet. As to the holy patriarch that wondrous dream was given. Jacob's ladder. So seems my Savior's love for me a ladder unto heaven. Paul says, you, you live in the foot of the cross. You live under the shadow of the cross. And it doesn't matter what difficulty you're going through. Because you know that you have a loving father at the other end who will use that to your good and to the good of his plan. And in that you take a measure of rejoicing. Mourning lasts for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning, M-O-R-N. So he says, so what now? If you're suffering, 
Is suffering itself evil? Or is suffering actually a tool? Is suffering a tool that God can use to help mold you into what you need to be? And I tell you, we have some people whose reaction to that is, what a horrible God. And it makes me laugh. Especially when I see the reaction in me. Because I do have five children. And I do know as a parent sometimes... The easy road is not the right road for your children. And there are times where you have to say, as David said this morning, no. And there are times where you have to say, this is for your own good. And what amazes me is how when our children say, but that makes you a very bad parent, we say, no, that makes us a loving parent. We, we would be a bad parent if we didn't. Oh, I'll never forget one of the biggest knockdown dragouts I had with one of my daughters. I was the worst parent in the world because I was going to make her take that medicine to get well. And a good, loving dad would not make her do that. And I sat there and I thought, you know, how often do I have that reaction to my God and Father? (sighs) Paul says, remember what's coming on the other side of the door. And let that help you through your time of difficulty and your time of trouble. Because Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes, he not only takes care of what is his, but he takes care of what isn't. Jesus comes again to demolish and destroy evil. To judge evil. At the same time, Jesus is coming in triumph for his saints. To give us the crown of glory. Which, by the way, if you read Revelation we take down and cast down before him because we're not worthy to wear it. But that's what he comes back to do. So, on your road, live up to your calling. Jesus is going to return. Things will be made right. Live up to your calling. Now, Thessalonians, some of you are a little concerned. Some of you are thinking that you've somehow missed the second coming. That Jesus has already started coming down again. It's already begun. Because Paul will speak that we're in the last days. And, and, and we are in the final days. We've been in the final days since Jesus returned to the Father. But when you speak that way and you don't have time to flesh it all out, some people may misunderstand. And some of the Thessalonians were thinking, well, Jesus has already started coming back. We've missed some of it. Wonder what we missed. This is terrible. It's not that we weren't paying attention. We've just been suffering so. And if the answer to our suffering is the second coming, how tragic that we've started missing it. And Paul says, oh, don't worry. You haven't missed it. You can't miss it. And it hasn't happened yet. Then one of the most difficult passages in the Bible to understand which I'd love to explain to you, but we don't have time. So we'll have to save it for when we reach Paul's theology. But here's the passage. Paul says, unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God 
or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Nothing happens until he comes. Jesus can't come again until this man of lawlessness. And right now there's someone restraining the man of lawlessness. And Paul says, you know the restrainer. Scholars are sitting there. Oh, this is a tough one. And it is tough. And I've got a little more to say about it in a few moments in the points for home. But suffice it to say right now for our purposes, you haven't missed the second coming. Any of you out there wondering? It hasn't happened yet. Okay? It hasn't happened yet. So what you need to do right now is be thankful as God's children that he's chosen you, that he's going to make you holy, that he's going to refine you. It may be through fire, but that you will grow right before him and grow in your faith. Because that's what he's about. And he's doing that in your life. He is. Now, Paul says, before we leave, I need you to do me a favor. Would you pray for me? I'd like you to pray for me in my mission efforts. Here's what I want. I want two things. First of all, would you pray that the word of God speeds out? That it goes out rapidly. And second, would you please pray that as the word of God goes out, it's heard. That it's received with honor. That's my prayer. That's my mission. That's what I'm about. Because I want to do that until the Lord comes back. And so would you pray that for me? And as you do that, would you just trust God? And trust God's faithfulness. And know that whatever you're going through, you go through it with God and blessing is at the end. Now, a couple of housekeeping matters before I let you go, he says. He says, first of all, some of you are using your religion as an excuse to do what you want to do. That's a no-no. Don't sit there. Don't go back to your Bible and look for things to justify what you want to do. Read your Bible for what it says and pray that God will help you apply it. Some of you have gotten so hyped up on the second coming you've quit working. Don't stop working just because Jesus is returning. Don't sit there and do the assessment. I've done the math. I figured out how much money we have in the church at large. If everybody will pool their money, I don't have to work. I figure I'm good till Jesus comes back. And if not, then we'll all start working together. But right now, I think I'll just coast and rely on other people. He says, no, you don't work, you don't eat. You want to eat? You got to work. He says, the same for me. I'm out there working. I'm practicing what I'm preaching. He says, now, another problem. There is a whole lot that needs to get done before the Lord comes back. We got a lot to do. So would y'all please stay busy? Okay. Just, you, 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 got, you got some work to do. Stay busy and do your work. Okay. You, don't be busy bodies. Be busy bodies. Okay? And I want to close, Paul says, praying for 
you to have the peace of God because you need it right now. So, points for home. God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, connections are important. We live in America, land of independence and isolation. We do. Times are very different now in the 21st century than they were even a hundred years ago. There was a time where women, by and large, it would be women, would go together to wash clothes at the community clothes washing hole. There was a time where people would gather together on market day because that was the day they had to get their groceries. Now we live in a day where everybody's got their own washer and dryer. We live in a day where you go to the grocery store, it's open 24-7. You go when you want. We live in a day where we all have our own cars. Most of us live in our own little house with our own family unit until our children reach a certain age and then we kick them out and make them get their own family unit. And as our parents get elderly, we stick them in a nursing home and we go visit them. And we live very independent lives compared to the culture in Paul's day. And there's some niceness to that. I mean, I love to sit in church with my family. And I love to have an empty seat between me and someone that's not directly related to me. I confess it. If you're related to me, I'll hold, let my little girls can sit in my lap. But if you're not related to me, I need some elbow room. I don't know how y'all are doing it on the front row. <laughs> I applaud you, yeah. I applaud you. I do. Because it runs counter to our nature to be connected in America in some ways. And yet, the Bible teaches us that we need that. I would come to this Sunday school class sometimes in my life, even if I hated the teacher, because I could be lost and anonymous in here. Man, I get to cross off going to Sunday school. I get to learn something. And I don't have to plug in and, like, make small talk. And if I do, it can be pretty small. Some of those Sunday school classes, they get real personal. I mean, there's like 10 people. What is your problem today? <laughs> well, I'll think about it, but I don't want to tell you. Okay. Biblically, biblically, we need to be connected. That's why the connection groups are so important. We don't have really strong connection groups in here because a lot of us are so busy and so in our lives and circles that it's really hard. And I'm not scolding anybody. But I do want to encourage and exhort you. If you're not in a formal connection group, find some Christians 
and plug into their lives on a personal basis because it changes who you are and it changes who they are. Next. Now concerning the coming of our Lord. Who's the man of lawlessness? Oh, this is interesting. Different people have different theories. The early church thought it was the Roman emperor. If not any particular Roman emperor, at least the office. Then as things developed, it became, oh, just about anybody that someone didn't like. In the Reformation movement, it was popular to think that it was the Pope. Not any particular Pope, just the whole office of Pope. If you go into a number of different areas. Oh, I've got a book that was written in the 1970s, very early 70s, that thinks it was Henry Kissinger. Um, there have been all sorts of... Dale Hearn sent me a picture of who he thinks it is. <laughs> Outlaw Josie Wales. Who is the man... <laughs> That's got some great lines, by the way, if you haven't seen it lately. You remember? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> you remember the line when, he's, you know, the, the, the bounty hunters are out trying to find Josie Wales, and Josie Wales in the saloon, and these two young bounty hunters come in, and they identify him, and Josie Wales, Clint Eastwood, looks at him with that nasty snarl. And basically says, you boys better get out of here before I, I gun you down. You're not taking me. And the boys just back out. And then one of the boys comes back in, one of the little bounty hunters. And Eastwood looks at him like, didn't I tell you to get out of here? And the boy looks at Eastwood as he gets his gun ready. And says, a man's got to make a living. At which point Eastwood pulls out his gun, blows him away and says, Dying ain't much of a living, boy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who the man of lawlessness is, but I will, <laughs> I will tell you this. I will tell you this. I'm not going to divide a church over it. And I will affirm to you the following. Jesus is going to come back. Satan is going to be destroyed. And all of the misery he causes... And we can be encouraged because we'll be with the Lord forever. Okay? Last point for home. And this one uh, I can almost leave alone because Dr. Fleming dealt with it this morning. Some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. It's the English Standard Version. Paul says, look, serve God each minute of each day. You're not coasting. We're only here this long. It's over like that. I'm 47. It's gone in a blink of an eye. I'm past midlife. I'm at the age of the midlife crisis. Where Bill Cosby says the reason it's a midlife crisis is because you do the math and you figure out that you're past your midlife and you missed it. It's over in a blink of an eye. Use every minute. Use every minute to serve the Lord. That's the eternity that we take with us into heaven. Would you pray with me? Lord, it's with, it's with great thankfulness that I come to you right now with my brothers and sisters.
I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for paying the price for my sins and the sins of my family and loved ones. And I thank you that you will come again and take us into an eternity that's not ruled by the prince of this world. That doesn't have the suffering and doesn't have the pain. And for those who are suffering and hurting right now, I pray that you would encourage them with your wisdom and your vision. I pray for Jan and her family. And I pray for countless others in here who are going through difficult times right now. Sustain them, Lord. I pray they won't just be a doormat through it all, but that they will embrace with confidence the faith of who you are and what you will do in their lives and how we spend eternity. And I praise you that Jesus is coming again. And I pray until he does that each one of us will do your will day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. That we will love each other, be connected to each other, and seek to serve each other even as we seek to serve you. That your word will go forth with great speed and people will hear it and come under your cross. Through which we pray, amen.